Welcome to the Canacuck Podcast. We hope you'll be encouraged to have an I'm Third approach as you navigate family, leadership, and spiritual growth. If you're new to our conversation, welcome. It's so great to have you. Let's jump in. Welcome to the Canacuck Podcast. My name is Shay Robbins, and we have a tremendous podcast for you today. I'm here with my co-host, teammate, and the head coach of Canacuck Camps. It's Joe White. Morning, Shay. It's uh, as we record today. There's about eight inches of snow outside. It's really, really pretty. You were talking about driving into camp this morning. That's through, right through the hills. Yeah, I told my friend Justin, who's helping us record, it, it always pays to have at least one friend who drives a monster truck. <laughs> and fortunately, we know a guy, so we were able to get in here and uh, record this morning. You're the chief farmer in the community here. That's true. That's true. We, we, we have some livestock. Um, well, today we are excited to continue our podcast series, The Cry of the Heart. This series has emerged from 50 years of ministry in these Ozark Hills, and our hope is that we'd be able to equip you, our listeners, with tools for healing. And there are so many practical avenues where this content can be a blessing. And um, I see it helping you personally, the interactions that you have with your family from a parenting standpoint, for sure. We're going to talk about that a lot today. These tools are extremely powerful with friendships, and ultimately, as Christ followers, we're all called to be ministers of the gospel. And I think a minister is somebody who listens well and speaks with wisdom, and we hope to equip you today, put another tool in your toolbox to be a minister. So, Joe, uh, what topic are we going to breach today in regard to the cry of the heart? Yeah, Shay, uh, after several decades from the, as they call it, the School of Hard Knocks, I don't call it the School of Hard Knocks, I just call it uh, the, the, uh, the, the blessing of getting to have thousands of conversations uh, with kids of all ages, including adult kids, <laughs> you know, uh, from, oh my goodness, age six through college mostly is the ministry we do here. Uh, you know, I, I've just seen a lot of empty and partially empty hearts uh, of, of children uh, when, who, who might exhibit, uh, you know, difficult behavior. But I've just found over the decades that, that the behavior that, that might not be, uh, you know, palatable, enjoyable, really comes from cavities that are left in the heart of the child by uh, by peer difficulties, by parental difficulties, by uh, volatile homes, uh, sometimes by neglect uh, by parents, uh, and and oftentimes the combination of all these significant voices in a child's heart, especially the parents, will leave these voids, uh, these cavities that are eventually filled by something, uh, mostly by anger, uh, by bitterness, uh, hatred, jealousy, strife, oftentimes by substances when they become teenagers, addictions of various sorts. And so it's really great at camp, uh, even though we have such a short amount of time, we have found that, you know, around a campfire, 
wow, it's just amazing, you know, sure what is. can happen in a short amount of time with caring adults. And so uh, our time with our children at camp has taught us that one of these cries of the heart, the cry for intimacy, is maybe foundational to all the rest. But a child obviously needs to be loved, and they need to feel loved. And the kind of love that we're talking about is identified clearly in 1 Corinthians 13 in God's love letter to us, verses 4 through 8, where Paul says, and parents, if you memorize Scripture with your children, this is a good place to start. If you don't memorize Scripture with your children, today is the right day to start. But this is a great one to memorize with your children and to talk about a lot. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own way. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Uh, we call this agape love. Uh, I call it a love in spite of. It's, it's I love you, period, if you will. Uh, it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And indeed, Paul says, it never fails. That is the love that children, especially from their parents, crave. As I've said before on this podcast, Shay, early on in my parenting days when I would say a learning curve. <laughs> you know, when you raise when you raise children, you just learn so much every day, and you realize how stupid you are sometimes. How little you know. But the the I think the greatest thing somebody told me was the relationship is everything, and without intimacy, no relationship is possible. You know, one summer, Shay, we had a a special camp for RAD, they call them RAD uh, children, kids who suffer from a reactionary attachment disorder. And what happens in the lives of some children in a very drastic way, and a lot of children in varying degrees, is the RAD complex is a child who doesn't have attachment or doesn't feel attachment at all with his parents. The child doesn't feel intimacy at all. Uh, the child with RAD can become dysfunctional. Uh, thoughts, feelings, behavior can be dysfunctional. Uh, the child can be highly irritable, uh, can experience uh, drastic withdrawal can suffer from anxiety disorder, depressive disorder, and as adults uh, are unable to emotionally bond, uh, experiencing great difficulty with relationships throughout the child's life. But we learned uh, here at camp, as we worked with these rad children, that these disorders can be uh, corrected and they can be encouraged into positive behavior. Joe, I, you know, all this is very personal to me as I'm processing through, you know, this intimacy conversation. 
having six kids, I'm just realizing that every single one of them, they need to be loved in a different way. They've got these just unique little personalities. And so I'm listening with a keen ear. How does a parent or how does somebody succeed in filling these needs um, of different little personalities and the way God has made um, people uniquely? Yeah, Shay, I mean, you definitely are in the in the middle of it now. You have adorable children, and I know you and Ashley, uh, like everyone else, have your challenges, but but y'all have become, I think, um, you know, scholars by the by the results you're getting in your home of how to meet these cries of the heart. And, you know, your children are so well loved and cared for. But I want to say to our, you know, listeners today, what works with children works with friends. You know, if you have a roommate or sweet mate or, uh, you know, buddy in the apartment where you live, or if you're, uh, you know, maybe a grown-up child like those of us in this room who are still trying to uh, self-correct some of these things that were missing in our childhood, we never stop feeling the need to get better in meeting these needs in others and understanding these needs in ourselves. But you start filling these cries of the heart in your children, in your spouse, ooh, especially in your spouse, and even in your grown parents and anyone else that you care for, you begin the process of, of doing your job diligently in anyone that you love by knowing your child, by knowing your friend, like really knowing your friend. So many people, especially in the millennial culture, are familiar with the Enneagram and it's a personality type study that really helpful to so many people about how to how to see how others are wired. There was a book that was published a few years ago by Gary Chapman called Love Languages, and it has been used widely, especially in marriages around the world. And the book points out aptly that you need to know the wiring of your spouse in this case. Uh, but certainly true with children. Some are wired by by physical touch, appropriate physical touch. Uh, it's amazing how much an appropriate hug can do for a child. Some are, are wired to to be more responsive to quality time, some to gifts, some to words of affirmation, and some are wired to appreciate uh, more fully acts of services. But But however your child or friend or spouse is wired. If you know that wiring, then you can use that love language to best communicate your love for that child. Joe, I think of two other resources I want to throw into the conversation. One of them was one of the very first podcasts that we did with Colin and Rachel Sparks titled Becoming a Student of Your Child. That is definitely one that's worth giving a listen. And then also you wrote a book called Wired by God, which speaks directly to this and helps us understand the unique wiring of our kiddos and how to go about parenting them. So I just wanted to mention those two awesome resources as well. Yeah, thank you, Shay. Um, yeah, it's been fun to, to study the wiring of kids for 50 years, and uh, we've learned a lot. And my 
co-author Larry Wheaton, uh, who supplied most of the scientific data in this book, um, Ed certainly had tremendous experience in understanding the wiring of children. But but I call it a 360. I, you know, when, it, when a child's uh, 360, if you will, is understood by the parent, um, you know, a 360 is, it's, it's, it's all your gifts. It's, it's your DNA. It's your talents. It's your mind. It's your heart. It's your brain preference. It's your personality type. It's the sum total of other influential voices in your life, things that coaches have said to you and teachers have said to you and other significant others, uh, youth pastors, et cetera, have said to you. All of your makeup, I call it your 360. And the discerning parent or the discerning spouse or the discerning friend listens carefully by the way you talk and by the way you react and by the way the child uh, lives his life. How this child is wired, if you will. And so if you understand the wiring of your children, then you know how to express love for them most effectively. My daughter, who's very, very savvy, uh, raising five kids, three of them biological and two of them adopted, she says a shotgun's better than a rifle. In other words, giving, uh, you know, kind of all of the above (laughs) uh, is better than just trying to just jam one love language down their throat. You can say, I love you a thousand times. And some children, that's super helpful. Some children, it really, words just really don't mean a lot. But she says, you you give a lot of all of them, hoping that something's going to stick. You know, my buddy, he says that children spell love, T-I-M-E, and always is one really good dad told me one time, I said, do you believe in quality time or quantity time? And he said, I believe in both. He said, when you spend quantity time with your children, you also are going to get great quality time. Joe, I was talking to a student yesterday. I was actually in an interview and this young man was the oldest of nine kids. So a family of 11. And so a daddy with a, uh, you know, with six kids in our family, my ears always perk up when I'm sitting across from a really sharp young leader, because I want to, I want to pick up some nuggets. How did your parents do it? And so one of the things I asked him, I said, did you, did all of the kids in the family, did you guys feel uniquely loved or did you get lost in the shuffle just with having so many kids in the house? And with just clarity in his eye and a big smile on his face, he said, I've never felt that. Never felt neglected, never looked, uh, you know, passed over or felt passed over rather. And I said, how did that work? And and he said, you know, my parents were good to have one-on-one dates with each of us. And, you know, it takes a while to go through nine dates, but those kids, they looked forward to those dates. And when they had that time, with mom and dad individually, they got to be heard. They got to be feel special. They got to be studied and learned about by their parents. And I just, I'm, I was so encouraged by that because that's something we're employing in our house. And uh, it just makes a difference. T-I-M-E. Hey listeners, Shay Robbins here. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd like to personally ask you to subscribe 
rate, and review the podcast. With your help, we can continue to reach more listeners. We're excited to hear from you. Please send questions to our team for a special audience Q&A recording in the future. Additionally, we're also interested to hear your suggestions for guests and topics. Send your questions and suggestions to podcast at canacuck.com. And now, back to the show. Yeah, you can't replace it. You you can't show you can't show love of any kind if you're not spending quality time with your spouse, with your children, with whoever you're whoever you're influencing today in your life. What does a parent do when children are going through difficult stages in their life? And I saw my years as a parent, and and all my children's years as parents, and I, and I just saw us all kind of like firefighters. You know, parents, it just seems like you're constantly, Shay, you, I'm sure you can relate, are putting out little little brush fires everywhere. I mean, you, especially moms are just so busy going from one little brush fire to the others. And, and I, said, I said, Jamie, what do you do? <laughs> There's brush fires everywhere. And she said, first of all, she said, as a parent, realize it's not about me. She said, you have to step back from the situation that you're in, the difficulty you're going through with a child, and and realize that and, and realize you've got an opportunity here. You, you've got an opportunity to use this maybe negative situation and turn it into a positive situation by listening carefully. She said, when you jump in on a child when there's a problem, she, she said, you're just, you're just, sometimes you're just squelching the opportunity to show the child how much you care for them. It's like this dear mother I'll never forget whose son was in all kinds of drugs. He was so far off the rails. It was just horrible what he was doing to his mom and dad. And yet this child came back. And I asked the child's mom, how did you do it when he was out there strung out on drugs and running away from home and uh, and, and just exhibiting all sorts of deviant behavior? How did you bring him back? And she said in her dear, sweet, tender way, she said, we always learned that we had to love the child while we hated the sin. And so as a parent or friend, when behavior is difficult, step back, realize it's not about me. Anger is not going to produce anything. Yes, discipline may come. It's appropriate to discipline well, lovingly, thoroughly, but it's not about the problem. It's about the deeper need in the heart of a child. Why does my child feel like he needs to smoke dope around his friends? Why does he feel like he needs to use language like that? What's going on down deeply in his heart? You know, uh, my joy at camp is making friends with campers who have, you know, whatever you call it, bad behavior. They bring the the uh, the, the children to me oftentimes. And I have made some of my greatest friends with young men over the years just by hearing them and not ignoring their behavior, but just putting that aside and asking 
questions that emote feelings from the child, emote care and attention. And it's amazing how the behavior will often, in fact, almost always stop as the child's heart is cared for. Joe, I think one of the things that I've learned just as I've matured as a a minister and a good friend is my my initial instinct or response when, you know, whether it's one of my kids that is disobedient or is flaring up attitude or it's a buddy in an accountable relationship that is fallen into sin, my initial reaction is swing in, be swift, strong, and quickly get this over with. And I, I just think that's my, it's my flesh because when we run into hard stuff, it doesn't feel good. I don't like talking about this. Let's hurry and get it over with. That, that's really something I've done in my immaturity. And as I've matured, I've just embraced the quality of patience. And, you know, we see that in God with us through our lives every day. And I just think patience and slowness is such a powerful thing that allows intimacy to be established. Yeah, Shay, and, you know, it's great as a parent to know that every child, every spouse, Every friend has a love language of being heard. And when I learn how to listen to my spouse, my children, my friends, uh, it's amazing how love that person feels. I've often heard that a wife's greatest need is to be understood Well, who doesn't? And I would ask you as a listener, when someone says something to you that you feel uh, is controversial or you feel a little bit offended or perhaps there's some anger attached to it, what's your natural tendency? To correct? To reprimand? Or to be Dr. Fix-It? And if you tend to be a corrector or a reprimander or a Dr. Fix-It person, If you don't know it yet, you certainly will someday. That doesn't help a person feel loved at all. In fact, it literally, according to Gary Smalley, it causes the person's spirit to close, and then they become deaf to everything else you're saying. But instead of being a corrector and a fixer and a reprimander, uh, demonstrate warmth. A child's got a problem. Ask caring questions. Just just say, tell me about that. What's that like for you? Just describe how that feels to you. I can't imagine how much that must hurt you. And oftentimes, a sincere apology is like a can opener to open a, a closed heart. I think all the men need to get out their notebooks and start taking notes here, Joe. <laughs> I keep connecting the dots. I think, you know, again, as a man, maybe the the rush to get something fixed, part of my my role at our house is, you know, when, the, when our faucet or spigot outside is frozen, I fix it. When 
the filter needs to be rinsed out and replaced in the the furnace. I need to do that. You know, I need to go and fix the fence before the goats get. There's just this hurry to rush and take care of it. And I just hear you speaking into that space again, slow down. And Shay, you know, before we close this podcast, I I, I want to say to folks that, that there's what I call the killer seas of intimacy. In a parent role, in a marriage role, in a friendship role, there are, there are some poisonous seas, if you will, that destroy intimacy. One is control. Uh, you know, over-controlling freaks, if you will, uh, think that it's my job to hold on to, to fix, to contain, to maintain everything about my child, everything about my spouse. And 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 you got to realize, folks, it'll drive somebody crazy, and there won't be any love shown when you're over controlling. They belong to God. Your children belongs to God. Your your wife belongs to God. Uh, life is one of the best teaching tools that God uses to train up a child. You have to let life happen. You can't control everything uh, and and bubble wrap your child. Another one is sarcasm. C Z A R C A S M. It's a made up word. I just made it up. But it but it's but it's sarcasticness in a controlling way. You know, people who are sarcastic with their children or with their spouse, they try to cut them down. They try to, you know, try to try to make me look funny. They try to give me attention. They try to it's my way of dominating you, and it certainly will kill. Uh, intimacy in the relationship. And then the other one is criticism. Criticism kills. It's one of our uh, one of our teaching tools at Kennecock. Uh, uh, praise motivates, criticism kills. When you're constantly uh, pointing out flaws and constantly correcting a child, killer sees. It's, it's kind of the English teacher syndrome. Now, let me tell you, English teachers are phenomenal people. Uh, it's good for school to be an English teacher for sure, but it's not good parenting to correct every little mistake that comes out of their mouths. Hmm. Joe, for those who are listening that perhaps didn't get that cup filled, where do they go and what do they do? Yeah, well, you know, we have learned over the decades that actually it's only God who can completely fill a cup of intimacy and Scripture is filled with passages, filled, I call it the great love letter, uh, is filled with passages of intimacy. And I don't think there's any shortcut for memorizing and meditating Scripture with your children uh, or with yourself for your own emotional stability, your own peace of mind. It's the best thing there is. Uh, I, I call it kind of the yellow highlighted heart when you take Scripture and you highlight it in your heart. You, you read it, you memorize it, you meditate on it, and you accept it. And for those of us who have still in our adult years a cavity there because our need for intimacy maybe wasn't met in our home, uh, verses like Romans 5.8, it was while we were at our worst that Christ died for us while we were his enemies. That's when Christ died for you. 
First uh, John three one. Parents will certainly relate to this, where John says, "See how great a love the Father has for us, that we would be called children of God." You know, your greatest love moment of any child you have, to think that God loves you a thousand times more than that to call you His child. And then I love Psalms 103, 13, where uh, the psalmist says, just as the father has compassion for his children, how the, the good father, the best father, is compassionate for his children, so the Lord is equally compassionate for those who fear him. I love in Psalms 68, 5, where... God calls himself a father to the fatherless. And oh boy, Shay, have I learned this over the years uh, from my wife, whose father was killed as a uh, test pilot for the uh, United States Navy. Uh, she never had a dad. Um, a, a young man who I discipled um, and have for about eight years, I suppose, whose father was killed in Afghanistan as a, a Navy SEAL. Both of these wonderful, dear people to me, without a father, found God to be the father to the fatherless. And their cup is very filled because they've allowed God to take that father role uh, in their life. And then finally, Shay, I would point out from Matthew 6, 12, the amazing power of forgiveness, that when Jesus says, forgive others, others as God forgives you, as in the same way, give the gift of forgiveness to others in the same way you receive the gift of forgiveness for God. Well, that's not for the other person who offended you. That's for you. That's for your emotional stability, for your healing. Because when you're bitter and angry at someone, almost all psychologists agree, and certainly Mayo Clinic and other uh, places that work with the physical well-being of people have stated clearly that forgiveness is one of the greatest health detriments that a person has. The lack of forgiveness causes all kinds of medical problems. But when you forgive, you actually re relieve yourself from bondage of the hurt that that person caused you. It's an escape from slavery. And so Shea's scripture, uh, as you meditate on and accept it, can fill that cup to overflowing uh, where you can be a great lover of others because you feel the great love of God. One relevant story to close on intimacy, Joe. A couple nights ago, one of my kids was having trouble going to sleep because they had seen a character in a Disney movie that scared them and was consuming their mind. It was all that they could think about. And they were all worked up and they came out and, um, you know, shared their, just how upset they were. And, you know, my natural instinct is go to bed and get over it. <laughs> and uh, my Christ-centered instinct is, is to love that little one right where they're at. And so we, uh, laid down next to each other. And I asked him, I said, hey, 
do you know any scripture that you've been memorizing that you could quote in your head? And they said, yeah, I know, Psalm 23. And I said, okay, well, what I do when I'm scared or when I'm tempted is I, I quote God's word in my head and I do it until I'm not scared anymore or when the temptation has gone away. And so we laid down next to each other and um, they began to quote Psalm 23. And the next thing you know, we were both fast asleep. And I think... That's awesome. Shay. It's one of those beautiful little intimate moments. You know, it, it was about five minutes of, of a lifetime, but, you know, those are little seeds that take root and they grow. And when we talk about emotional stability, I think when we plant those seeds over and over again, the root system in our lives grows strong and we can stand firm no matter how hard the wind is blowing. And so to you, our audience, we want to thank you for sharing your time with us today. We sure hope that today's conversation serves to fuel your I'm third approach to faith, family, and friendships. And with that, I'd love to pray for you. Lord Jesus, we just come to you and we just thank you that you care deeply for us that you love us just as we are, that you, sp that you pay very close attention to us, that even the hairs on our head are numbered. And I just want to pray for each of our listeners that they feel that today, personally. And I pray also, God, that by your Spirit, that you would equip us to be um, ministers, to love and to care for people patiently, diligently, with wisdom uh, to create um, just intimacy that's long-lasting. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope today's conversation left you encouraged, strengthened, and empowered. If you haven't had a chance, please subscribe to our podcast today to stay up to date with the latest episodes. If this podcast has helped you in any way, please consider rating us, writing a review, or sharing it with others so we can continue to build you up with an I'm Third approach to family, leadership, and spiritual growth. For more information about the podcast, visit canacuckpodcast.com. And for more information about Canacuck, you can visit canacuck.com. Mm -hmm.